Windscape Chapter 12 Panic at Hilltop As the police car moved towards them, Jenny and Pavel had to sneak back round the side of the bus shelter again to keep out of view. Are you quite finished? Jenny and Pavel peered round the side of the shelter. The bus driver was staring down at them. You know there are public toilets at the ticket office, don't you? He pointed back at the ferry terminal. No, bleated Jenny. We weren't. It was a dog. Well, I hope you cleaned it up. Just because this is an island in the middle of nowhere doesn't mean we don't tidy up that kind of thing. Jenny stared up at him blankly. Well, are you getting in the bus or not? pressed the driver. He had a chubby, weather-beaten face and wore a black-rimmed hat that was far too small for him. His pig-like eyes blinked as he waited for an answer. We want to get on, began Pavel. But I've left my purse in the boat, finished Jenny. Sure you have, said the driver. Couple of chances, eh? No, it's the truth, said Jenny, in the most pathetic little girl lost voice she could muster. And you've got a mutt with you, said the driver. He pushed the rim of his hat further up his forehead and shook his head. His name's Lord, said Jenny. Pavel poked her in the ribs, but it was too late. She just blurted out Lord's name, and that was that. The driver tilted his head and looked hard at Lord. Very high and mighty, I'm sure. And you say you've no money whatsoever. With a reluctant sigh, Pavel dug into his trouser pocket and produced a wrinkled five-pound note. I only have this. He offered it to the driver, who unravelled it with a look of disgust on his face. Well, I can't exactly refuse to give you a lift with a dog named Lord now, can I? It wouldn't be right. Besides, a child's fare is only one pound twenty. You'll have enough change for a packet of crisps in the ferry at the other end. I take it uh, you want to catch the ferry to Oban? Jenny nodded. The driver punched a few numbers into his machine and two pink tickets emerged from a small hole. The dog's free of charge, he added. Thanks, said Jenny. My pleasure, mademoiselle, he replied. He shuffled up to the back of the bus and sat down. Although Jenny was tired, hungry and worried about her father, she still felt a tingle of excitement. She'd never been in such a journey before. Never been so far from home and there was something else. Was it danger? She wondered. Was she beginning to enjoy the risks and the lies? A feeling of dread spun round in her stomach like a big heavy coat in a washing machine. It put her off kilter, made her heart race. As the bus jolted forward, however, she thought about her father, lying in some unknown bed in some unknown hospital, alone. She slumped back into her seat and dropped her duffel bag on the floor. Let me check your bag again, said Pavel. As Jenny listened to Pavel pulling and hauling at her bag, her eyes drifted over the other passengers. There were two old ladies with matching bobbled hats that looked like tea cosies, a middle-aged man in a boiler suit, and a very neat-looking gent with a shiny briefcase and a natty tie. Jenny had noticed the tie as she'd passed, gold with lots of animals on it. Another dig in the ribs from Pavel snapped her out of her thoughts. The police car's coming towards us, he said in an urgent whisper. Jenny watched the car roll past the bus and then pull off the road onto a raised piece of ground ahead. Pavel pulled her down in her seat as the bus moved closer. 
Jenny could see that the driver was watching them in the rearview mirror. Once they were a good 50 yards away from the police car, they turned and knelt up on the back seats, squinting through the headrests for any sign of a flashing blue light. Lord followed suit, barking at the police car as it faded into the distance. Pavel began stuffing Jenny's things back into the duffel bag, but Jenny caught his hand. I'll do it, she said, glaring at her tall companion. He was an accomplished liar, cheeky and impulsive, but she liked him. She felt safe with him. He would get her to her father. She just knew it. At Hilltop Farm, Mr Murdoch's black jeep skidded to a halt on the gravel outside. He leapt out and pushed open the front door. Any sign of her? he asked. Not a jot, said Mrs Murdoch. I knocked on her door to see if she wanted any breakfast, and when there was no answer, I took a look inside the bedroom, but... I know, said Mr Murdoch briskly. You told me. Gone. Along with her bag and her stupid dog. Are you going to check Hushwish? asked Mrs Murdoch. Yes, yes, he hissed. Well, you don't have to snap my head off, she complained. Distractedly, Mr Murdoch moved into the living room. Mrs Murdoch followed. What are you doing now? I need to check something. He began pulling sheets of music from the piano stool. Sandy! he roared. Mrs Murdoch felt her mouth become dry. What is it, Angus? She's probably just run back to her own farm. Jenny's headstrong like her father. Why are you rummaging about in there? Sandy! Mr Murdoch roared again, ignoring her. She watched him slam the lid of the piano stool shut and then march back into the hall. She caught his arm. Angus! I I can't explain just now, he snapped. Sandy appeared, bleary-eyed at the top of the stairs. I thought I told you to keep an eye on her, boy. Keep an eye on who? Sandy pulled a black T-shirt over his head. He wriggled his arms into the sleeves as he stumbled down the steps. Angus Murdoch shook his head mournfully and sighed. See, this is what I have to put up with. Don't be so hard on him, Angus, said Mrs Murdoch. Hard on him? He pulled her into the kitchen and sat her down. Shaken, Mrs Murdoch tried to read his face. Look, Ellen, we could lose our farm, everything, if we don't find Jenny quickly. I, I don't see how, she said. It's complicated, said Angus. Sandy and I will keep looking on the island for a while. You wait here in case she turns up. But Angus, I don't see how that wee girl could lose us everything. You're overreacting. Angus pushed his face closer to hers. I can assure you, I am not. Ellen's hands slid off the edge of the kitchen table. Her brow was moist. What have you done, Angus? Sandy Murdoch burst into the kitchen, a toothbrush jutting from his mouth. He tried to speak. She's gone, Dad. A lump of toothpaste plopped onto his shirt. Angus shook his head. Nice one, Sherlock. Now get a bag packed and get moving. We might be going to Glasgow. Glasgow, said Sandy. Why do you repeat everything I say like an imbecile? An, an imbecile, Sandy yawned. Angus Murdoch shook his head again and pulled a hold all from the kitchen cupboard. Just do as your father says, said Mrs Murdoch. She'd never seen Angus this uptight before. Her mind was racing with all sorts of horrible scenarios. Where's Pavel? said Sandy. Where indeed, said his dad. 
there's no sign of him either. In minutes, Angus and Sandy were in the jeep and skidding out of the driveway. Ellen slumped onto a kitchen chair and stared, shell-shocked, at the family picture in the fridge door. It showed the three of them, tanned and happy, standing on a beach in Yavia. Would their Spanish villa be under threat too? She wondered. There was a knock at the front door. She sniffed and steadied herself on the kitchen table for a moment before getting up. She pulled the door open. Mrs Murdoch? The postman stood in her step, a big parcel in his hands. Ah, morning, Charlie, she sighed. It was rare for Charlie to turn up on the step. Angus usually caught him first. Everything all right, Mrs Murdoch? Oh, yes, she lied. I nearly forgot, said Charlie. There's another letter here for the MacLeods. Ellen Murdoch wrinkled her brow and studied the manila-coloured envelope. I usually see Mr Murdoch at the cattle shed, eh? but he wasn't there this morning. Sorry to disturb you. That's all right, she said in a small voice. She waved goodbye to Charlie without once taking her eyes off of the letter.